listening to a parish podcast, a reimagined faith community. It was September, and a friend of mine a couple of years ago was organizing a canoe trip at a residential treatment center. He had about 12 individuals sign up to spend the day on the beautiful Eels Creek. It had the potential to be a beautiful weekend. And so they decided to put Phil in Rob's canoe because Rob was so experienced and Phil had no experience. A few days after the trip, I asked Rob how it went and he said that Phil almost ruined it for him. Rob said Phil sat at the front of the boat, constantly looking into the water, complaining about the rocks and the weeds. And Rob got fed up. So he told him to quit whining and that he should stop looking at the bottom of the river and instead look at the surface of the water because he was missing all the beauty and ruining the experience for everybody else. I asked him how Phil responded and he told me that he didn't speak to him the rest of the trip. That same morning, I had the chance to see Phil and I asked him how the weekend canoe trip was. I was curious. Phil looked at me and said, It was life-changing. Curious, I asked him, how? He admitted that he hadn't spent a lot of time on the water because when he was a child, he had a traumatic experience in a boat and almost drowned. But he couldn't resist the day outside of the center, so he signed up. And once he got in the boat, he said that he was surprised that he could see the bottom of the river. He thought it would be a bit deeper and that the sight of the rocks and the weeds kind of just freaked him out a bit. He said he just kept thinking that if this boat goes over, my feet are going to get wrapped up in those weeds or stuck in those rocks. And to be honest, he said, I can't swim. And I was feeling a panic attack coming on. But then Rob told me to quit looking at the bottom of the river and instead to look at the surface of the water. And at first I didn't know what he was talking about until, boom, there it was. The incredible reflection of the blue sky, the clouds. All the trees and their fall colors made the river look like it was on fire. He said, Aaron, it was incredible. Then he looked at me and he said the craziest thing. He said, Aaron, it was there all along. But when I was looking at the weeds, I just couldn't see it. It's like I had to make a choice of what I wanted to look at. And when I chose beauty, wow. I'll never forget this conversation with Phil. I felt like he'd explained the presence of God better than any theologian in the past 2,000 years. Our world exists within the world of God. And at times we get glimpses of the divine in such vivid ways that it changes the way we experience our lives in that moment. And by changing his focus, my friend actually elevated his mood and it stimulated something in him that he hadn't felt in a long time. Phil was experiencing awe. Awe is a state that we find ourselves in that can alter the way we experience time and foster a sense of altruism and peace. The dramatic change in perspective changes us. Ontological awareness. We are a part of something greater than ourselves, and it gives us a profound sense of peace and wonder. Now, we've all experienced awe at some point, at some time. That sense of wonder we feel in the presence of something so vast 
that transcends our understanding of the world is the definition. I have heard some describe it when they stood at the Grand Canyon or skydiving. Some felt it giving birth, others just being in the room when their child was born. Some can feel it listening to music or viewing art or sitting at the dock at the cottage. The ancient cathedrals were designed to elicit a sense of awe, this feeling of wonder. There is mystery. There is so much we don't understand in that moment. Millions of questions all pushed aside, and you're okay with the not knowing. Everything. You feel small, but not insignificant somehow. And most of our experiences around wonder find us. They surprise us. And for the most part, they're subjective experiences. They're different for every single one of us. This is awe. And it has the ability to dramatically affect us. Case in point, Phil from the front of the boat. Now, cognitive psychologists have been studying this. Neuroscience has been trying to understand it as well. We need to live in a world with more awe. Maybe this is what Jesus meant when he infamously taught his disciples that we must learn to experience life like a child again, to be able to appreciate the world of God as it has been revealed among us. But we are inundated with so much, and yet amazed with so little. The smarter we think we are as humans, the smaller the universe feels. Mystery is something that we want to hold instead of being held by it. But there may be an obvious correlation to the absence of awe in our lives, the absence of mystery now, and the increased sense of helplessness, anxiety, and despair. So how can we experience more of this awe without having to plan a trip to the Great Wall of China? And what if there's a way of seeing the beauty in this life instead of just the rocks and the weeds? The divine reflection that can change the way we experience the difficulties of life. The current research in this area has shown that it is possible to kindle awe, or in other words, be more likely to experience it. Cognitive psychologists have found that the further you shift your focus away from yourself, towards something more expansive, the more likely you are to feel a sense of awe. Stop. Did you hear that? Let me tell you again what science is saying is the recipe for awe. Listen carefully. The farther you shift your focus away from yourself and towards an expansive view, the more likely you are to feel a sense of awe. I find that sentence, that sentence fascinating simply because that's the very nature of spirituality. I don't know about you, but doesn't that sound like faith? Sitting in amazement in the presence of something that is bigger than us? We are in the presence of something so grand, so mysterious, so wonderful, and in those moments, we don't know everything, and instead of that filling us with fear, it fills us with wonder and hope. This is the nature of faith. There's some fascinating research by anthropologist Tanya Lerman from Stanford University. She's been looking at brain scans of individuals and various acts of spiritual practice, including prayer. And her research has shown that the same parts of the brain that are triggered by looking at the stars through a telescope are triggered by some individuals who pray to a loving God. And when this region of the brain is triggered, it kindles a sense of awe 
and alters your sense of time, which in turn alters the way you're experiencing the present moment. It turns out that prayer isn't just something that you do. It may be something that you can experience. Many of you have experienced times like this through prayer. These breakthrough moments where you're overwhelmed with peace and hope. But many haven't. For many, prayer is a task that seems insurmountable. It is an exhausting battle of obligations and lists of what I should be doing instead. It is a battle of the mind. We would all agree that we need some more of this awe. Imagine experiencing awe while praying, or at least kindling it. Setting yourself up to experience it the rest of your day simply because you took time at some point to kindle, to pray. Now, I don't think that this is usually what comes to mind when we think of prayer. This, uh, this morning, I want to change that for us. Today, I want us to consider prayer as a means to influence our perception of the world. So for someone experiencing fear, prayer could be a means of expressing trust and embracing mystery. For someone experiencing shame, prayer could be a means of contemplating God's love for you and in turn altering the way you experience those dark emotions. For those struggling with anger or disappointment, the practice of prayer can be a way of choosing peace. Prayer, it turns out, isn't just something you do. It is something that you can experience. How can we again recognize the reflection of the beautiful on the rivers of our lives again? Instead of us merely seeing the weeds and the rocks. Both are here, but only one fills us with peace and hope. How can we shift our attention to something more expansive, more beautiful, that alters the way we experience all the other things we experience? It's not that we're trying to ignore the rocks and the weeds, but let's change the way we experience them. I think Jesus offers us a clue here, or maybe more than a clue, he offers us some direction. Jesus, who we find in the pages of the Gospels, spends hours in prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I can struggle with spending minutes in prayer. The thought of hours is exhausting. The mental fight of, of trying to stay focused, it just seems unattainable. But don't get me wrong. When life is bad, I have no problem talking to God about all the things he needs to fix. It just rolls off my tongue. Reminding him of the stupid people, all the things that he could have done differently, in those moments, I get lost in my rants to the divine. But I think it's important to note that in Tanya Lerman's research of how people experience an unbelievable change in the way they experience their difficult realities through prayer, she found a caveat, an exception. The people only kindle awe in prayer when they're praying to what they believe is a loving God, a deeply caring and listening presence. Her research showed that when prayer is riddled with fear and shame, that it triggers the amygdala region of the brain, which then signals the fight-and-flight mode in our thinking, causing stress, actually has a negative effect. So as we think about prayer in our own experiences, is it possible that we could be doing it differently? What if prayer isn't something we do, but prayer is something we can experience? I don't think there's a better example of someone who prayed differently than Jesus. He, his practice was so unusual that his own disciples asked him to show them how he does it. It's quite amazing how many times we read of Jesus praying. This was definitely part of his life. 
And when I think of that image in my head, it's been ruined by paintings of him hunched over a rock, hands clasped, gazing into the heavens. But I don't think this is an accurate image. Listen how the gospel writers describe Jesus in prayer. Notice the words they use to describe the scene. They all include words that present a backdrop, a scene. Use your imaginations as I read these few verses from three different gospel writers. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. The words that stand out to me in that sentence is early, dawn, solitary, the idea of undistracted, sunrise. In Luke chapter 5, verse 16, he records this, But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness and prayed. These words stand out to me often. Withdrew, wilderness. Matthew chapter 14, verse 23. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. These words stand out to me. Mountainside, climbing, ascent, time, dusk, sunset. In many of these verses, it seems Jesus went to experience something. There was a physical aspect to it, an element of the natural world that seemed to enhance, if not be, the backdrop to the time he spent. He climbed. He went. He withdrew. He got up. And these were the places where he prayed. Early before dawn. Do you know why he got up early before dawn? So he could watch the sunrise. Why would anyone climb a mountain to pray? To gain perspective. Otherwise, if prayer for him was just words, he could do it by the campfire beside his 12 friends. But prayer wasn't something he did. It was something he experienced. Time to commune with the Father. It seems that the unique places and ways that Jesus spent time praying caught the attention of his disciples. So much so that they actually approach him about it and they ask him to teach them how to do the same thing. Listen as Luke records this moment in chapter 11. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. It seems that after watching how Jesus prayed, even the disciples may have felt like they had something to learn. Now being Jewish, they would have prayed three times a day, reciting the Shema prayer. They would have had the Psalms as well to use as prayers. But what was it that triggered this inquiry? One day Jesus was praying in a specific place that we don't know. And when he was done, hey, can you show us how you do that? What did they see? What did they desire? What did they observe that was so different than how they prayed? What made them think that they didn't know what they were doing, or perhaps that they were just amazed at the presence of Jesus after he spent time in the presence of God. That he could even speak of his own death with peace and determination. Who is this guy? Maybe recognizing him coming back from these experiences had them sneak off to follow to see where does he go? Someone knew because they wrote about it. I think they would have noticed that Jesus most likely would return from his time in prayer clearly different. And immediately after this encounter, Jesus would teach them a prayer. 
that we would have called the Lord's Prayer, and I'm sure most of us have it memorized. But Jesus didn't say, pray this. He said, pray like this. Now, I want to bring our attention just to the first line this morning. Our Father who art in heaven. Our English translations miss entirely the power of what Jesus is helping his disciples understand. A more awe-inspiring and what I think more accurate translation is, creator of all, the whole universe, your home. Think of the implications of that first line. Imagine sitting on the side of a mountain as the sun is rising and praying that first line, creator of all things. The entire universe is where you dwell. Shifting your focus towards a more expansive view, Jesus was preparing them to experience something. Prayer for Jesus was about fostering a deep connection with God. It was about communing. It was about finding perspective. Who knows how long it took for him to get to that second line in that prayer? Because that first one desires to take your breath away. I'd like to use the definition of awe and use it to describe prayer. Here it is again. That sense of wonder we feel in the presence of something vast that transcends our understanding of the world. Imagine prayer as a way of participating in God's universe. More than merely asking God to fix all that is broken, which can be like canoeing but only looking for the weeds, but about finding our place in something so grand, so big. It's about choosing to see the reflection of God's beauty superimposed over the chaos of life. Don't get me wrong. This isn't about ignoring our needs and never crying out to God in prayer, crying out in desperation or in frustration. Even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before his death cried out for God to change the path he was on. But then he asks not for his will, but for God's plan to be fulfilled. Prayer is equally about honesty and vulnerability. If you've ever read the Psalms, you know that it's possible to experience both heartache and awe in the same breath. What I'm encouraging this morning is that we consider that prayer is a wonderful way for us to see the world and not just complain about it. It can be a wonderful way to sit and experience God. Sitting by the river for me is prayer when my eyes are open and not when they're shut. We need to learn to pray without moving our lips at times, to just sit in God's presence. I just have to listen and realize that sometimes listening is the answer. Listening to creation as it shouts the invisible character of God. This is how the Apostle Paul wrote about it. That creation itself shouts out the invisible qualities of God. So when we don't know what to pray, the earth is doing it for us. Just sit and experience the awe of it. That desires to point us to a loving intelligence behind everything. Listen to know the heart of God can help you to understand your own heart. I have learned to look not only beyond my problems, but beyond myself to the presence of something greater. That faith isn't just about me searching for God, but that God is searching for me. Trying to reveal himself in some of the most pedestrian ways. I've learned in my frustration and my pain and my anger and my disbelief that some of the most meaningful prayers that I've done was just looking up and breathing. The process of inhaling deep and holding on to that tiny moment when our lungs are full 
and then letting go. What an incredible spiritual exercise. It is the physical gesture that embodies prayer so well. Samer Samalyevic writes that in words, we often try to hold God, but in silence, God can hold us. I have found that to be true. It's the shifting of my focus off of myself towards something more expansive that has been a game changer. Even in the way I try to change my focus um, slightly to realize that I'm not the only one experiencing whatever it is I'm experiencing, whether pain or fear. If thinking of God and his creation in expansive ways fosters awe, I have discovered that praying with an expansive view of my needs does so as well. Whatever it is you're going through, imagine just changing your prayer from God help me to God help all of us who are struggling right now. Fill in the blank with fear, with shame, with anxiety, with doubt, with pain, with suffering, with sorrow. It offers you some perspective, a more expansive view of pain and suffering. An empathy begins to form. You realize you are not alone, not only in the universe, but even in your pain. And so when I pray and include others in my words, it expands my understanding of my own needs, takes the focus off of just myself and includes the word us or our, and God becomes so much bigger. After all, Jesus' famous prayer begins with our Father or Creator of all. And when God feels bigger, your needs feel smaller just because of displacement. So let me encourage you to consider spending time in the presence of something so wondrous. And all it will require of you is to open your eyes and shut off your phone. Let me challenge you to begin the practice of praying with your mouth closed and your heart open. And may your practice of the presence of God begin to include words like wilderness before dawn and finding those places beyond distraction. And I have found lately that I am doing less talking and more listening. And in doing so, I haven't been getting everything I want. But I'm discovering so much of what I need.